This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. And we are talking about assisted dying today and whether the Liberal government is getting it right. That proposed legislation is on the table now. I'm going to give you the numbers and a reminder, callers, please call early in the show because we always end up getting backed up with calls right when we have to take breaks or end the show. So the numbers, and we're talking about assisted dying today, 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And it is supposed to be the Chamber of Sober Second Thought. And yesterday, Maureen Taylor, widow of SARS hero Dr. Donald Lowe, appealed to the Senate to exercise its constitutional right to change the proposed legislation on assisted dying. It was an emotional appeal from Taylor, who has taken up the cause after her husband's experience. He starved himself to death to end his suffering from brain cancer, and he left behind an impassioned video that I'm sure most of you have heard that ignited the debate on this issue. Maureen told the senators that they are the last hope of people who are suffering intolerably but won't qualify for an assisted death under the proposed new law, which would require a person's natural death to be, quote, reasonably foreseeable. Maureen is on the line from Michael Guerin Hospital, where she works as a physician assistant in uh, infectious diseases. Hi, Maureen. How are you? Hi, Libby. I'm fine. Thanks. Thank you so much for taking the time to uh, join us today. Uh, Tell us about your experience before the Senate. First of all, what made you go that route? They invited me. Um, So that was something they did because I was the co-chair of the provincial territorial panel that looked at all of this, and our our report came out last uh, December, um, that was an invitation, you know, basically on the basis of that. But, you know, as I watched everybody coming before them this week, I, I'm a geek, so I sort of watched it on C-SPAN, it, it felt like they were hearing from all of the same people that, in groups, basically, that we'd all heard from all along. And there really weren't that many patient voices coming forward. So with my co-chair's permission yesterday when I got there, I said, I, I'm not going to talk to you as the co-chair of this panel. I just want to talk to you as the widow of, uh, of, of someone who wanted an assisted death and didn't get it. And, and so, yeah, I did try to bring them back into, you know, that time where Dawn was desperately trying to find a way to have a peaceful, quick death and couldn't. And um, I hope it had an effect because really it looks like Bill C-14 uh, is not going to get any amendments unless the Senate can convince the government otherwise. And uh, would your husband have qualified under this current proposed legislation? You know, Libby, I, I think he would. I think it would be a very odd oncologist who would have looked at his MRIs and things and said, you're not, your death is not reasonably foreseeable. 
Um, so, so yes, I could, you know, I could be that person who says, okay, my, you know, the person I loved would have been taken care of with this bill. And then I'm happy. I'm going to go home and, and say nice things about Justin Trudeau. But in fact, the more I've researched this, the more I realize that there, there are so many other, um, medical conditions for which doctors can't say when you'll die. And, you know, you've probably heard that Kay Carter, for whom the, the Supreme Court decision is named, is one of those people. She had spinal stenosis. It caused her uh, to be basically an ironing board in bed all day, unable to move and in great pain. But it would not have killed her in the next three, four, five years. Who knows? And I'll, I'll put some other ones out there because I'm sure the listeners have these types of people who, who they love and are in their families. So we're talking Alzheimer's disease, multiple sclerosis, even Huntington's, Parkinson's disease. Those are all things for which it's very difficult to say your death is reasonably foreseeable, um, although you might be having intolerable suffering well ahead of that death. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was another objection this week to the proposed legislation, and that was that in certain rural communities, uh, it, the the requirement that it be two doctors who are unaffiliated might prevent people from getting an assistant, assisted death because in some small communities, uh, you know, there is only one unit of practice, mm-hmm. so the doctors are affiliated. I found that. That came from the uh, College of Physicians and Surgeons of Ontario, and, and I, my hats are off to them. I had not actually anticipated that um, as, a, as a problem. Of course, the reason the government is putting that uh, in is it's a safeguard to prevent, you know, sort of two doctors who have a business together from just rubber stamping each other's evaluations of patients, right? But but the CPSO made a very good point that in a in a family health team, all of these doctors and they, that might be the only uh, team in a whole rural area. So these doctors have a relationship, a business relationship, and if they're prevented from uh, seeing each other's patients who want an assisted death, that will mean the patient has to go outside that community. So I, I do think that has to be taken into consideration. They've raised a very good point there. And is there, was there any indication that that might be taken into consideration? It never came up in our, oh, I see, uh, the Senate. Um, you're asking me how seriously did they take that. I'm, I, I'm not sure because the CPSO brought that up the day before my presentation, and so it wasn't really brought up again yesterday when I was there. And, and your sense of the Senate, we know that uh, um, Senator Oliphant said he was not going to uh, support the bill, but uh, take us through the process. Uh, can they suggest an amendment or do they just reject the bill? Yeah, I know that we've been, um, you know, not, we don't have a very high opinion of the Senate lately, but this is one thing the Senate does very well is they have these committees that look over proposed government bills, and they study them in great detail. And they can send them back with suggested changes. So the committee I was appearing before, the one that's looking at this, is actually the committee, the Senate Committee on the Constitution and Legal Affairs. So these senators have a fair bit of knowledge of our Constitution and the Criminal Code, the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. So they could go to the government, and you know, there is a conspiracy theory out there that says the liberals want the senators to make these changes, so then they'll be able to say to the masses, hey, you know, we tried to make this a very narrow uh, bill that only terminally ill people would qualify, but the Senate didn't want that, so our hands are sort of tied. I don't know if I believe that. Uh, so the Senate <laughs> conspiracy can Conspiracy theory for everything. Yes. 
then it can make suggestions, and then I guess it's up to the government whether they accept them or not. Okay, Maureen, uh, let's take a call. We've got Laurie in Toronto. Hi, Laurie. Yes, hi, how are you? Fine, how are you? Not too bad, thank you. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I have a, a question with regards to this uh, whole situation about uh, death and dying. Uh, actually, I have uh, several questions, and I also have uh, some expressions to make. Uh, the question is, do we have statistics on how many people would like to have assisted death? Okay, good question. We know from other jurisdictions that have had assisted dying laws for some time, like Oregon and the Netherlands, that it's anywhere between 0.5 and I think 0.2% of the population. So it's a very small number of people. And the other thing to note in Oregon where they've looked at this, one-third of people who ask their doctor for the prescription for the medicines and they qualify, they meet all the criteria, they they take the prescription home and they never use it. So one-third of all of them never even use it. And that's because palliative care is, is enough where they die more suddenly. So, so I think that's reassuring too. It's really going to be across all of Canada in a year, it's going to be a few thousand. I, am, I estimate though, to be honest with you, that at the beginning, there's going to be more than that because I think there's a pent-up demand in Canada for this. There are people suffering who are just waiting for June 6th to come around. So I wouldn't be alarmed if we see um, more than expected at the beginning, but I think that will taper off into something around that 0.2%. And uh, Laurie, what they yeah. say in Oregon is that uh, that people uh, just feel a lot better knowing that they have the option if the pain becomes unbearable. But the law here is very different. In or Oregon, you have to be able to take the pills yourself. Here, it's physician-assisted death. So I'm assuming that by the time, uh, you could always change your mind, but by the time people go through the process, uh, there wouldn't be, you know, it wouldn't be a third of people who don't go through with it. Uh, perhaps not, although in this uh, bill, you have to ask the patient just before delivering the drugs if they want to change their mind. So, so that's all built in as a safeguard as well. Okay, so if statistically we have such a low percentage of people who uh, want to have assisted mm -hmm. death, why do we have to go in such measures of, of having a bill? Um, I guess this is one question. And another question is, um, if somebody wants to die... Do they have to have a permission of the doctor to die? People have all kinds of uh, modes of uh, being able to go to the other side. They don't need a, a, they don't need a prescription. They don't need a permission. It's their own choice. There were always throughout the centuries people found ways of, of dying peacefully or otherwise. How, how would you? Well, let me ask you that. How, if if your hus if it was your husband instead of mine, how should he have died without a prescription of barbiturates? What what would your suggestion have been? Well, there there are plenty of drugs on the market, over the counter drugs um, that kill you within ten or fifteen minutes without pills, etc. That would allow someone to just take. Uh, more than, uh, you know, allowed amount or uh, number of pills and just died. Okay, and so I'll just... Other, so I, I don't understand, I don't understand the reason for the legislation. Let, let, let her explain. Allow because 
there is no such thing as somebody need a permission. Yeah. yeah well, why don't you why don't you let Maureen explain? And and there are a lot of people who, with a disease like ALS, um, you know, if if they don't have someone assist them, they would commit suicide or they would take their lives sooner okay. than they have to because they wouldn't be able to physically move. But Maureen, please go ahead and explain. Well, I, work, I worked in emergency medicine before coming over to infectious diseases, and I can assure you that I, I saw patients on almost a daily basis who had uh, over, tried to overdose <laughs> with sleeping pills, and I, I only chuckled because I think these were half-hearted attempts at suicide. Um, you will vomit up the pills or the, even the Tylenol. Now, Tylenol, you might have a better chance because it does serious damage to the liver. Uh, but sleeping pills will not kill you um, if somebody finds you in time. And that's always the thing, too. My husband wanted a peaceful death within minutes, and he didn't want me to have to come home and find him in a violent situation where he'd blown his brains out or hung himself. And so I, I'm afraid the caller is just wrong. There are not many, many ways of killing yourself in a peaceful, quick way. It's inhumane to make people attempt to do their own chemistry in the drugstore when we have an alternative like they do in Oregon. And that's all I'll say about that. Lori, does that answer your question? Well, partly it does. It's just uh, the whole situation with regard to the fact that uh, people actually want to die for me. And I'm, I'm sure for many, many people it's very alarming that people are losing the hope and they're losing the will to live because all our existence is about trying to survive. We were always encouraged by the societies and by the media and by the, the whole motion of life that we have to fight for our lives and that, that it's very important to survive. Yeah. And if we, if we see that there's such a degradation uh, in people's uh, mentality and their physical beings that they actually want to die and they actually are asking for assistant death, for me this is a, a huge turn of us as humans, of, of our wills and of our abilities to actually allow people to live happy lives. Okay, Lori, thanks for your call. Thank you. Uh, I, uh, of course, uh, those things are human, but anybody who has gone through a terminal illness with anyone else will know that there comes a point when uh, the best that you can hope for is a good death. Mm -hmm. uh, a disease like your husband had brain cancer in the mm -hmm. fourth stage. Uh, it only ends one way. Right. It, it didn't matter whether he had a will to live or not. I can assure you he was going to die anyway. And in fact, he he did. I mean, he didn't get an assisted death, and he died seven months was all he had from the time of diagnosis. So, I, yeah, I don't, you know, I don't like this um, this analogy that we use in cancer to say, oh, you're fighting your cancer, you're fighting your I cancer. I hate it, too. Okay, good. We agree on that. I, we agree yeah. on that, and I've had two kinds of cancer, so. Yes. Yeah. I, yeah, so, uh, so terminal diseases... Huntington's disease. I mean, really, there there comes a point you do whatever you can, and and there are diseases where really, um, you know, the, the it's it's going to be final. And uh, it's interesting that when you talk about doctors, they are kind of the most sanguine because they really know what's going to happen. Right. They know how futile many of these treatments can be, and they know what death is like. Death is often not pretty. 
um, uh, you know, we'd all, I think I, I'm almost unhappy as I get older that we, that I don't smoke and, um, that I'm not a walking heart attack, uh, possibility because when you look back, that's how my grandfathers all died, it seemed. And, and that was, uh, probably a very painless, quick death, but not many of us die that way anymore. We have a prolonged, protracted deaths and doctors know this better than anyone. Okay, Maureen, please hold on. We have to take a quick break, and we are going to take more of your calls when we come back from the break. So let me give the numbers out once again. 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-744-740. Back after this. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. We are talking about the proposed legislation on assisted dying. We're here with Maureen Taylor, the widow of Dr. Donald Lowe, uh, an impassioned advocate. Uh, he was the hero of the SARS crisis, and he ended up starving himself to death to end his suffering from brain cancer. And that was obviously a death that involved quite a lot of suffering. Uh, before we get to your calls, I have a question for you, Maureen. Uh, you've explained why you want to change the wording in the bill, uh, the naturally foreseeable death, because Mm -hmm. doctors are not gods and they Mm -hmm. don't necessarily know. But why do you want to get rid of the word incurable? Shouldn't uh, it have to be an incurable disease? I think... What what I liked about the Supreme Court wording is they said um, it has to be irremediable, but the patient doesn't have to uh, try every treatment that isn't um, that isn't acceptable to the patient or something to that effect. To remember that, so I think that as you know in the cancer journey, Libby, um, oncologists have a lot of tools in their armamentarium. And sometimes, you know, they, they warn you right off the bat, the first round of chemo, that might not do it. There might be a second round. Then there might be an experimental type of chemo we can go to. And a, a keen oncologist may well never agree that the patient's, you know, um, cancer is incurable until they've tried you know, God knows how many treatments. And we just want to make sure that the wording is in there that says, yes, this has to be an irreversible um, disease, something that can't, you know, that can't be reversed. But at the same time, the, the treatments and the number of them, have, that has to be up to the patient mm-hmm. and I acceptable thought, to the patient. I thought uh, that all stage four cancer is considered incurable. Very probably, but sometimes people die even with stage 2 cancer or stage 3 cancer, right? Yep. Um, And so uh, we have very elderly um, people who are getting diagnosed with, you know, breast cancer at age uh, 85, and they just say, you know what, I don't care. I don't want to go through a mastectomy and chemo and radiation. And that's my, you know, I have these other comorbidities. I have, you know, CHF or something. And I think that should be their choice, right? But could you say that their breast cancer is not curable? You couldn't. I, I, I get what you mean now. Yeah. Uh, let's take a call from Anne in Toronto. Hi, Anne. Hello. Hello. Hi. I, I didn't realize that Maureen wasn't a, a physician the way she was talking. I thought she was a physician, but uh, the, the screener um, corrected me. She's uh, a physician assistant, and yeah. she knows a lot about this. Okay. Yeah. Well, Okay. 
uh, I won't get into that one. I wanted to know from Maureen what she would think a suitable um, fee would be to kill someone. Uh, yeah, well, I'm not going to engage in that. You know, obviously, you're not. Um, you, you disagree with the Supreme Court decision, and I. Oh, so you're inferring things, Maureen. You don't know if I agree or yeah. not. Well, I have no idea what or what the government may set as a fee for this. So I, I don't have an opinion on that. Well, you have a lot of other opinions, and I have some difficulty. If you were a physician, I would be able to listen to you. But you are not. Yeah, but she has uh, firsthand experience so of I. watching. And so do many other people. Um, yeah. yeah and I'm really here to comment because I went through this. So I'm talking for the patient and caregiver voice here, not Marine, as a physician I'm talking and the medical for a patient community. and caregiver. So, so you would not have to have this. Uh, if you didn't want this, obviously we would always respect the right of people to, to uh, let their natural death occur. Well, well, not from listening to you. Well, that, what do you, no, no, this is for people who want this. This is, uh, you know, nobody, uh, no, this is, this is something, as Maureen explained, for a very small number of people who uh, want help dying, who want to end their suffering, and who understand that their condition is terminal and that it's very painful. And, and uh, to, to put this forward as anything other than that is it's just in, inaccurate. I mean, if, if you don't, I mean, I understand it is a very divisive moral issue, and that's why we're talking about it. But, but it is what it is, and it's, it's not a question of forcing anyone to end their life. But, Maureen, it shouldn't be easy for anyone to do it. And listening to you, you're trying to make it very, very easy to have someone die if they have an illness which uh, is deemed incur- incurable. And we never know that. We've heard of miracles, right? Well, well, not yeah, many I, miracles. Maureen, I would reflect on the way you're presenting your position. Okay, and thanks for your call. Thank you. Okay, Maureen, we're, we're out of time, but maybe a last response to that. Well, I want to assure Anne and others that I don't think it should ever be easy, and I don't think this will ever be easy. Um, you know, even if Don was entering his cancer journey after January 6th, and, and you know, we ended up in the same place, but he had an assisted death, I can assure you uh, that that would not have been easy for me either. But his death was not ever going to be easy for me because I loved him so much, and I didn't want him to go. I could have looked after him forever. Um, uh, but I loved him enough to not want to see him suffer, and I respected his wishes. Um, and that's all I would ask of people is that we respect each other's uh, point of view on this. And as you said, this is something patients and only patients can ask for. And there will only be uh, a few people wanting this because your, you know, your other caller was right. Most of the time, people want to eke out every single day of life. But that's just not true for everyone. Okay, Maureen, and uh, I understand also that that uh, you're continuing your 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 husband's cause and his wish, and that that it's it's probably not very easy for you either. Not not always, but you know, I wanted to try to make a difference so that other families wouldn't have to go through what we did. And I'm heartened to see, you know, for all the faults of Bill C. Uh, Fourteen, I'm I am overwhelmingly happy that we're going to have something in place soon. Okay, Maureen Taylor, thank you so much for joining us. Nice to talk to you, Libby. Thank you.
You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.